Good morning all, Psalm 81 this morning, Psalm 81. The original plan was to do a few psalms this morning, because when I did my initial read-through of Psalm 81, I thought, okay, that's a nice foundational psalm we can build off of. And the more I got into Psalm 81, the more I realized the depth of this psalm, so we will be doing just one psalm this morning. But it's one psalm with a lot of information. So as I look at the clock, we have basically about 40 minutes here, maybe about 30 minutes of introduction and 10 minutes of teaching, because there's so much here to introduce us to as we get ready to go through this. I want you to remember this as you're going through Psalm 81. Think of this. It's the call to listen. That's what I want you to remember. It's the call to listen. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. Verse 11. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me, would not listen. Verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. The theme of listening. The call to listen. Now, before we get into that, let's just remind ourselves of the introduction there in verse uh, 1. It says to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. We have the audience. It's to the chief musician. As we've covered many times before, that could be an individual. The chief musician that is going to be doing this work. Or it could be a picture of God himself. So the chief musician. The author is Asaph, which we've covered multiple times before. He was a seer prophet during the time of David. His descendants were known as the sons of Asaph that were worship leaders in the temple. And lastly, now we have the composition. It says right there on an instrument of Gath, which we don't know a lot of details of, but it's probably talking about the actual composition. So we have the audience, we have the author, and then we have the composition. But it's the call to listen and to fight, make this foundation here of what it means to have the call of listening. Let's see what Jesus says about this. Can you go with me to John 10, please? John 10. John 10 will be our foundational verses here to understand what it means to hear the voice of God. Now, as we get ready to go into John 10 about hearing the voice of God, I'm going to use that phrase a lot this morning. I want to explain what I mean by hearing the voice of God. I'm not talking about hearing the audible voice of God. I'm talking about how the Lord speaks to us. He can speak to us through multiple different ways. The Lord can speak to us through prayer. He can speak to us through friends. He can speak through us through the idea of worship, through God's word. He can speak to us through many different things. And that's hearing the voice of the Lord. I heard a pastor say one time, it says, if you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to hear the literal voice of God, read his word out loud. Because as you are listening to God's word, as you are hearing it being read, you are hearing the voice of God. This is how God has chosen to speak to us, is through his word. And we need all these elements. We need prayer. We need to make a time, make a list, pray over things. We need people. We need godly people that the Lord will speak through. We need the time of praise and worship. We need the time of being in God's word. We need time to allow the spirit to come speak to us. That's what I mean by hearing the voice of the Lord. So with that being said, verse 1 of John 10. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice. We hear the voice of the Lord. God calls us out by name and leads us. Verse 4. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You can know the voice of the Lord. Verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. We can then learn to distinguish between the voice of the Lord's leading in our lives and the voice of strangers that we're supposed to stay away from. 
That's what I want us to learn this morning. And this is something that will take a lot of time. This is something I like to call the discipline of listening. It is not something you just get or grasp. It takes time to learn to have the confidence of hearing His voice. It takes the depth of knowing Christ to have that confidence of hearing His voice. It reminds me of the passage, I believe, in Ephesians where it talks about renewing your mind in Christ. That your mind is in tune with what the Lord would want. You can hear that. And that confidence in listening only works when we have become a living sacrifice. Think of what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of the mercies of God, that you offer your body up as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to the Lord. Then you will know, it says, what His will is. So by becoming a living sacrifice, giving my life over to the Lord, having my mind renewed in Christ, I can have the confidence in listening. I can have the confidence of knowing the voice of the shepherd. That's what we're talking about right here. Knowing what the Lord would want in a situation. Yes, spend time in the Word in prayer. But there's multiple times where you just start to understand what does the Lord want. We have spent so much time in Word, so much time in prayer, that you know His voice. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The discipline of listening leads then to the confidence of knowing His voice. So that way you can confidently say, I know what the Lord wants me to do with this situation. Because I have learned to listen to His voice. Now listen to this though. It's a blessing to reach the point of having the confidence to say, I know what the Lord wants me to do. But it's also dangerous to start doing that callously. You can have the confidence now of hearing his voice, but that confidence can become cockiness very quickly, which leads to correction because we become callous. It's a beautiful thing to be able to stop and say, Lord, I've spent time in prayer with you. I've spent time in the word that I know clearly what you want me to do. But do not let that confidence become cockiness, which leads to correction. That's where it becomes dangerous. A good example of this is the King Uzziah in the Old Testament. If you remember correctly, King Uzziah was a good king. A very good king. God blessed him and did a lot of mighty things through Uzziah. But near the end of Uzziah's reign, Uzziah became confident, which led to cockiness, which then led to correction. Pride came in. If you remember correctly in the Old Testament, if you were a king, that means you came from the tribe of Judah. If you were a priest, it means you came from the tribe of Levi. You did not intermix these. Near the end of Uzziah's reign, he was doing so good as king, he decided to show up at the temple with his entourage to offer sacrifices as a priest. As he approaches the temple to offer these sacrifices of prayer and incense as a priest, the priests stand before the king and says, you cannot come in here. And there's a standoff now between the king and the priests. And at that moment, Uzziah's pride led to God correcting him. And the Bible says that God struck Uzziah with leprosy. And then Uzziah had to go live by himself with leprosy for the rest of his life. His confidence in the Lord led to cockiness in the Lord, which led to correction in the Lord. And if you have the confidence to know this is what the Lord is leading me to do through prayer and the word, then amen. But be very, very careful. That does not lead you to get past the point now of thinking that you have this all figured out. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say. I've run into many believers that have led to that confidence of knowing what the Lord wants them to do. And the problem is they quit then 
relying on the word, relying on prayer, relying on godly friendships, relying on worship and the Spirit's leading because they believe they have it all figured out. There is a discipline of listening. There's a blessing of listening. There's a confidence in knowing his voice, but make sure it does not lead to cockiness like Uzziah and be very, very careful of that. How do we reach that point, though, of being able to listen? Well, James 4.8 says this, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. How's that for a simple statement? The more time I spend with the Lord, the more I understand His voice. The more I understand what His will would be. And the more I understand what would glorify Him. For anybody that has children, anybody that's been married, you understand what I mean. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you understand what they think. The more time I spend in word and prayer, the more I can understand the voice of the Lord to have the confidence to say, that's what God would want me to do in this situation. But so often our prayer life consists of just telling God what we want. We're so quick to tell God what we want, but so slow to listen to what He wants. It's a discipline. It takes time to learn through prayer, through the Word. In our fast food society, we want everything quick. We want the food quick. We want quick checkouts at the store. And we want shipping to be quick. We want everything quick. Slow answers from God? I don't have time for that. So therefore, I'm just going to go right to the internet because I can get immediate answers off the internet. I can go ask my friends and they'll respond immediately. I can post something. They'll text me. They'll email me. I can go ask the pastor and just say, will you do all the work of praying for me to let me know what God wants me to do? It's a discipline to learn to wait. Think about Daniel. When he prayed, the Bible said one of his prayer requests took three weeks to answer. Are we willing to have that mindset of saying, I don't have to move quickly on this, that it's a discipline of learning? Because the reality is, the longer God waits to answer, the more I spend time with Him. Think back to the Old Testament. It's almost a bit of jealousy when we think of the Old Testament. If they wanted an answer in the Old Testament, they would go ask for the ephod. Now, we don't know exactly how it worked out. We can kind of piece together from reading sources and looking at it, and there's some assumptions that if you were a king getting ready to go into battle, and you're like, Lord, should we go attack the Philistines? You would call for the priest. You would make a sacrifice, and they would bring the ephod. And it looks like maybe it was this type of bag and maybe it had like a white stone and a black stone in it. And so you would say, should we attack the Philistines? And the priest would make the sacrifice, stick his hand in the bag, pull out a white stone. And the white stone says, yes. That's your answer. Black stone would say no. Well, that's wonderful. Don't you wish you just had a little ephod? Treat God like a magic eight ball? Somebody comes up and says, hey, we're offering you this promotion. Hold on. Let me shake God and see what he says. See, the problem is you no longer have a relationship with the Lord. You have a relationship with the bag. You have a relationship with stones. You have totally missed the point of having a relationship with God, and our relationship with God now is with the ephod. See, I have learned that when I'm seeking God for answers in prayer, so often I think I want the answer. But the more time I spend in word and prayer seeking Him, the more I realize the answer doesn't matter. What matters is just spending time with Him. And really the answer becomes quite secondary. Because just being with the Lord and being in His presence, that's where the blessing is of just knowing Him. Think of what Paul said in Philippians 3. I just want to know Christ. How simple is that? I encourage you, make the prayer lists. Pray over the things. Seek the Lord in wisdom. Those are all biblical things to do. But remember, the discipline of listening is knowing the shepherd. 
The confidence of hearing his voice. Don't treat your prayer requests and your prayer times as just trying to get through them as quick as I can and saying, Lord, just give me the answers. No, that's not what it is. Lord, I want to know you. But why doesn't he make it easier? Revelation says that there's going to be angels at the end times flying over proclaiming the gospel. This is a sovereign, powerful God that has literally a million ways that he could answer my prayer request. He he could send me a message. He could send me a person. He could show up in bodily form and say, James, this is what I want you to do. He could write it on the ground. He could write it in the sky. He could do all this. And yet here I am pleading with him, asking for wisdom because I want to be obedient. And he's not answering. I go back to the previous point. Do I want the answer or do I want him? We must learn to want him. Regardless of what the answer is. But he could kind of make it clear, couldn't he? Isaiah 42, speaking of Jesus, says this. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. God doesn't yell. That's not the way he gets his point across. How does he speak? According to 1 Kings 19.12, there's a still, small voice. And to hear that still small voice, you have to learn to really let go of everything in the world. That's the discipline of listening. To have the confidence to hear his voice. Think about this, parents. You know when your kids are younger, the power of your voice. You can raise your voice. You can make your voice be intimidating. And after a while, after your kids have heard you yell and yell and yell, eventually the yelling carries no weight. That's one thing I try to remember as a parent. I don't want to parent by intimidation or yelling. And it's hard because when they're younger, the power of the voice is so powerful. But it it doesn't carry the weight long term. Can you imagine Jesus answering prayers with yelling? They would be like the drill instructor that would just scream at you. I think you'd reach a point where you're saying, thanks Lord, but no thanks. I'll just do this one on my own. He's the still small voice that does not yell, that wants to build a relationship with you. So therefore, the discipline of listening is saying, Lord, I want to spend time with you to be able to hear your voice, to know your voice, and to really just ultimately know you. Charles Spurgeon says this, We hear the voice of God, not with the outward ear alone, but with the inward ear. We hear it as God's word, and we believe it to be so. Learning to listen with the inward ear, to have that confidence to do that. So therefore, as we get into this psalm, learning to listen to what God has to say. Verse 1, sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. Look at the wording in 1 and 2. Sing aloud. Joyful shout, raise a song, strike the timbrel. That's some pretty powerful words there and describe what worship is supposed to be. Now, I'm going to make some comments here about worship and teach some things. Please do not form a conclusion until I am done. Okay, so just hear the whole thing first before we jump into this. I have seen funerals that have more energy than worship. I've also seen worship with energy that was completely, utterly unbiblical. Worship is not entertainment. Now, I know this is something we've taught on before, but we need to grasp and understand what worship is. For us today, we must move past worship as entertainment and past the idea of worshiping worship. 
For many New Testament churches and believers today, worship has become a spectator event. Like going to a concert to be entertained. We become music critics after worship, commenting on song selections and style. We look at worship as choosing our favorite song on the radio in our favorite style and our favorite volume level. We have lost the fear of God in corporate worship that leads to deeper godliness in Him. I had a pastor friend and I were talking this week and he said this and I loved it. He said, worship can charge you up for sure, but it does not ground you in the Lord. Now, people attempt to use worship and the emotion of it for depth with God. Please separate the feeling you get in worship versus actual depth in God. Worship is not there to entertain you, but to bring you into a deeper relationship and a realization of who God is and His holiness. Listen, songs are powerful. There is an emotional response to songs. And there are times in that song of worship, you use the word, you feel that song. That's not necessarily wrong. The problem is I see people chasing that feeling rather than depth in relationship with God. And they base their depth in relationship with God off the feeling of worship. That's a dangerous thing. We start saying little phrases like this. Well, worship was good today. Oh, I was blessed by worship today. Now, hold on a second. No. Did I glorify the creator of the universe who holds my very breath in his hands? And did I walk away with a deeper understanding of his holiness? And did I, in the fear of the Lord, bring the sacrifice of praise and worship him? Did I grasp his holiness? Did I grasp his fear? Did I grasp that? That is what worship is, to stop and understand who He is and understand what worship is. And we have to move past that because there is a feeling with music. You see that in worship, and to be honest, you see that in secular music. You listen to that song and you just feel good. There's a reason why pep rallies use music. There's a reason why when your team is down in the game, the pep band starts to play, to pump you up. There's a power in music. That's why when you see in the Old Testament, sometimes they wanted to have the worship team going to battle first to get us pumped up. The problem is that concept of worship and the feeling that comes out of that is not depth in the Lord. And I know people that equate worship with depth. You just throw a little bit of God's word in there. No, 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 no. What did it say in Luke 24? Did our heart not burn within us when he taught us from the scriptures? Understand the importance of worship. Understand the blessing of worship. And worship is vitally important. But just be careful that we don't start worshiping worship and looking at it as entertainment so that we do not just come in and say, oh, entertain me. No, did I understand the grasp and depth of God and his holiness and the fear of the Lord? That's what worship is supposed to be. Because take a look at verse 4. Did you catch this? This is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. Worship was done by law and statute. They're saying you need appointed times to worship. You need to be told to worship. Now, as I'm saying this, I'm not trying to say this about anybody personally here or watching online, so don't take it that way. But I've had people come up to me over the years and say this. I just didn't feel like worshiping today. 
What are you talking about? You didn't feel like worshiping today. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it today. The holiness of God, the fear of God, the grace and mercy of God, his character of God, you just didn't feel like it? This is why verse 4, it's a statute and a law. I mean, can you imagine years ago, thousands of years ago, Passover is coming up. They're getting ready to take the children of Egypt, excuse me, the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and they come and they say, hey, listen, this is what Moses said we need to do. We need to take a lamb. We need to sacrifice the lamb. We need to put the blood above our door so that way when the angel of death comes over the houses in Egypt, our firstborn children don't die. Is that clear? Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay, why don't you go do it? No, I don't feel like it. What do you mean? You know, if you, 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 I just don't feel like it today. There comes a time and a place where sometimes verse 4 where I see the statutes and the law of God and I need to remember what Jesus said. I am the unprofitable servant and it is my duty to go do these things. I am human being and sometimes I come into worship and I don't feel like it. Oh, the fear of God, I better. Because I need to understand His holiness and godliness. And I know what happens is sometimes that's heard and people say, well, James, you take the fun out of worship. (laughs) The fun is understanding who God is. Is fearing him, his holiness. Grasp this. You know, when it talked in there, the idea of the thunderings of God here in verse 7 in a little bit. The thunderings of God is this. You know, if you remember back in Exodus, as they were approaching the holy mountain, it says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off, and they hit their knees and they worshipped. Can you imagine that one guy? The presence of God, the thundering, the lightnings, the flashes, looking around saying, I just don't feel it. What do you mean? You don't literally feel the earth shake? You don't see the lightning? You don't see God? So we need to remember, we need to sometimes move past how we feel and look at verse 4 and say the statute, the law. It was appointed for them to have times of worship. Verse 3, the new moon. Now, see, it's hard for us to grasp the new moon. The Jews have their calendar based on the lunar cycle, where we have ours based on the sun. So, therefore, the new moon meant that started a new month. You see this in Genesis as well, where it goes, it was evening and it was morning the first day. They based everything off the moon. So, on the new moon, it was a time of celebration. The Bible teaches us they would get together, they would have feasts, they would have celebration. Uh, It actually says in Leviticus, speak to the children of Israel. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation, that on that first new moon, they would blow the trumpets. You should do no customary work, but should have the blowing of trumpets. It was a time of celebration. In fact, you kicked up the sacrifices at the new moon. Two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, all as burnt offerings, and then you have one goat for sin offering. Trumpets are blown, it's a celebration, it's the new moon. It's another month of God's faithfulness. An appointed time to worship. So why do we worship? The first point you see in verses 1 through 5, obedience. You worship out of obedience to who God is. Now you're going to get in verse 6 that you also worship out of gratitude for deliverance. But it's established in verses 1 through 5 that you're worshiping out of obedience. Now verse 5 is interesting, which takes us into 6 there. He established in Joseph as a testimony and he went throughout the land of Egypt. So Egypt reminds us of the distressing trouble they had in Egypt. They were slaves. Where I heard a language I did not understand. See, this is where it's interesting. If you have King James, New King James, it connects the thought of I heard a language I did not understand to the distressing times they had in Egypt. 
that they were here in Egypt, slaves and foreigners, and they were in trouble. If anybody has ever been to a, a foreign country where you're the only English-speaking person in that area, all of a sudden you start realizing the distressingness of not understanding any words that are being spoken. It's kind of distressing. I remember when we went down to Mexico a few years ago as we got ready to cross the border. Um, somebody told us, they said, listen, you're driving a 12-passenger van. They're going to pull you over to the side. They're not going to let you through because your 12-passenger van looks like you're bringing things in you should not be bringing in. They said, just accept it. It's going to happen. So when you know it, we get stopped and they pull us over. So they come to the van and I'm thinking, okay, you can investigate what you want. You're going to see Dawn and me, five kids, and four days worth of junk. So if you want to take anything out, just please put it back because we've been living in the van here. So we stop at the border and they pull us to the side and they come over and they start talking to me. And wouldn't you know it, guess how they're talking to me? In Spanish. Why are they talking to me in Spanish? I'm not Spanish. That was distressing. Then it hit me. I'm entering your country. You're Spanish. I need to speak to you in Spanish. And so at that moment, I started realizing this is why you practiced and started learning Spanish. And I realized, I sure, I hope don't say something stupid so I end up in prison. It was distressing. That's what it's talking about here. They're in a foreign country. This is distressing. They're hearing languages they do not understand. God shows up in verse 6 and says, I'll take care of you. But if you have NIV, NLT, ESV, you'll see that it actually connects the idea of I heard a language I did not understand, connecting it to God speaking. Same concept. We're in Egypt. We're struggling. Either one, I hear God speaking that helps us, or I'm distressed by what I hear and God still speaks. It still connects the same thought. Verse 6, I removed his shoulder from the burden. This is now the Lord speaking. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Selah. Stop. Pause. Think about this. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. There shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk on their own counsels. So God says in verse 6, I took your burden off. I freed you from the work you were doing as slaves. Verse 7, you were in trouble. You called out. I answered you. Place of thunder. We've already talked about that. Mount Sinai. I test you at the waters of Meribah. Time does not permit us. That's Exodus uh, 17, 1 through 7. That's where they didn't have any water. And they started complaining to God. Meribah means contention. And so God miraculously provided them water out of the rock. He says, listen, I provided for you. You saw my glory. Stop. Pause. Think about this. This should lead you to worship me. So our first five verses is we worship out of obedience. Now we should be worshiping out of God and what he's done. The problem was Israel wasn't listening. Verse 8, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me, listen to me. I highly encourage you to start putting the word admonish and your vernacular. It's a great word. Admonish carries the idea of I'm warning you. I'm not warning you out of anger. I'm not warning you with a mean voice. I'm not warning you and yelling or screaming. I'm just looking at you passionately, telling you I'm admonishing you. If you continue down this path, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your kids. It's going to hurt you. I'm admonishing you. That's what he's doing in verse 8. Israel, I'm admonishing you. You need to listen to me. Verse 9, get rid of the idols. No foreign gods. Do not worship any foreign gods. Verse 10, trust that the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, 
I will fill you. I will take care of you. But if you choose not to, verse 11, my people would not listen to my voice. They wanted none of me. So verse 12, there's consequences. I gave them over to their own stubborn heart. I warned you, get rid of the idols. I'm here to fulfill you. Verse 11, you wouldn't listen to me. So verse 12, there are others consequences. Let's look at verse 10 first. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Boy, oh boy. God wants to fill you with His will, with His glory. To have your heart aligned with Him. Verse 10 is a powerful verse. Dare I say this, in the hands of the spiritually immature, verse 10 is dangerous. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Oh, the teachings I've heard on that. God wants to give you that new car. He wants to give you that promotion. He wants to give you that person. He wants to give you that house. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. If you just have the faith and just trust and obey, God will fill that with every desire you have. Well, who wouldn't want to serve that God? It's Christmas every day. That's not what it's talking about. Verse 9, they were looking for fulfillment in foreign gods. A relationship of worship and obedience and provision. God says, verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will take care of you. Now just ask yourself something here real quick. Think about your prayer life. Is your prayer life a prayer life of saying, Lord, I open my mouth wide and I want you to fill it. So, or is your prayer life, Lord, I really want that promotion. I really want my finances taken care of. Yeah, Lord, I really want the weather to be better. Or is there something deeper of saying, Lord, I want you. I want your glory. I want your soul saved. See, in in the mind of the spiritually immature, verse 10 just becomes a blank check of God, give me whatever I want. In the mind of the spiritually mature, verse 10 is, Lord, fill me with more of you. Let me grasp who you are. Lord, give me somebody I can represent Christ to today. Lord, Let me just know you more. Lord, I'm not getting this passage. Would you please fill my mind with the understanding of what this verse means? Can we move our prayer requests past the earthly things to the heavenly things? Think about what he said in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Put God first. How much of our prayer time is really just earthly things? The previous passages before it says you don't have to worry about the food. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about the clothes. He'll take care of you. How much of our prayer request is over food and clothes? And I don't mean literally food and clothes, but it's just the things of, oh Lord, just take care of me. Just give me a good day today. Just give me health today. Just, just I need the money. I need this. And all of our prayer goes into, Lord, just give me more and help me. And there's no time left to saying, you know, Lord, heavenly, I just want your righteousness. I want to know you more. I want to glorify you more. I want to witness for you more. Learn what it means to stop and say, Lord, I want you. I like these sayings here that come out of this. There is a truth to what God wants to do for us. One commentator said this, Yet it also means that we may make bold with God. And ask many and large blessings at his hands. 
Read the whole verse and see the argument. I am Jehovah, thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I fill it. Because the Lord has given us so much, he invites us to ask for more. Yes, to expect more. I believe that. I believe that sometimes we're very small in our prayer requests. You know, Romans makes it clear that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we say or think. I can think of three examples right now where God has done exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever say or thought. And if God would appear to me in bodily form and said, James, I know this issue is distressing you. What would you like me to do? I would have said, Lord, here's my answer. And he would have looked at me and said, too small. I'm going to do even more than that. See, he can go above and beyond what we ever say or think. But please understand the context of that. For his glory, done in his will, for the furtherment of the kingdom, for his holiness. This is not, Lord, do above all I think, and I look at my checkbook and you're just going to make money appear in there. It's for his glory. It's for him. How often are we content with something small? Barnes says this, Why then should his people ever turn for happiness to the weak and beggarly elements of the world, Galatians 4.9, as if God could not satisfy them? Why should they seek for happiness in vain amusements or in sensual pleasures, as if God could not or would not supply the real needs of their souls? See, often the things we're praying about are not the things we really want. That's not really going to fulfill me. What really is going to fulfill me is more of the Lord. That's what it is, Lord. Fill me with you. Please learn that discipline of prayer. I'm really not praying for that answer. I'm praying for more of the Lord. And when I get more of the Lord, I start realizing the answer is not as important as I thought it was. But really was, is Lord just knowing you. Got to pick up the pace here to finish this up. We went through the example of this. Warned in verse 8. No idols, verse 9. He fulfills us, verse 10. They won't listen, verse 11. Verse 12 the consequences. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Remember that phrase, gave them over. Keep your hand here. Let's go to Romans 1 real quick. Remember that phrase, gave them over. Romans one twenty-eight. but then we're going to work backwards. Romans one twenty eight, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. There's our connecting thought. God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. There's consequences. God gave them over to those consequences. I think back, um, an individual that we have known for probably 20 years now, that doesn't understand consequences. Doesn't understand that their actions that God sometimes gives them over to consequences. I don't know how many times this person has has contacted us over the years and said the relationship fell apart again. I really thought he or she was going to be the one. Why does it always fall apart for me? And in my mind I'm thinking because you keep going back to the vomit and dating vomit again. Or the jobs. Finally thought I found the job that was perfect for me. But why is it that I always get awful bosses? Because you're not working as if working for the Lord. And so therefore, your consequences of your poor workmanship creates issues with your boss. I've known you for 20 years. 
There's no concept of consequences. There's no concept of God giving them over to the results of their actions. We have lost that in society today. Sometimes things fall apart because of the choices I have made. Back in Psalm 81, he admonished them to listen. They would not listen, so therefore consequences came. Romans 1, God gave them over to a debased mind. Why? Now let's back up and see. Back to verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We talked about the wrath of God last week. People do not want truth. 19, because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. There's our first point. God has shown it to them. God has revealed himself to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. When I run into somebody who tells me there's no evidence for God, I just think, yeah. It's not that there's no evidence for God. Your heart doesn't want to believe in any evidence for God. The evidence for God is clearly seen, the Bible says. Your heart does not want to accept the obedience to God and the responsibilities of a God. You're without excuse. 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 21, they knew God. That makes it clear in 19 and 20, but they chose not to glorify God. So they knew He was there. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, 20, but they chose not to glorify him, 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The next thing they did is they took the glory of God, 23, and they changed it. They took God and made God what they wanted God to be. Now, we don't do that today. We don't have images we bow down to worship, but we have sure changed God. We start treating Jesus like some type of hippie that just went around saying love people. We just changed who God is. Or I've heard this a lot. Well, I I don't think God would do that. You mean the God that didn't have a problem flooding the earth and killing billions of people? You don't think he'll judge sin? No, I don't think he would do that. Pretty sure he will. We've changed the image of God into what we want it to be. That's dangerous. 24, so therefore... God has also given them up to uncleanliness and lust of their hearts to honor their bodies among themselves. Therefore, God gave them up. Why did he give them up? Because they clearly saw God, did not want him. They clearly understood who God was, did not want him. And now you understand verse 28. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over. They are now taking the consequences of verse 25, exchanging the truth of God for the lie. There are consequences, and this is what Psalm 81 is trying to get across to Israel. And for us today, God is admonishing us to listen. And if we choose not to listen, there will be consequences. And God will give us over to our heart, which is sin, which is judgment. Jump back now to 81 to finish this up. Look at verse 13. Look at the pleading of verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. That is not anger. That is God pleading with them. Listen to me. It reminds me of uh, Jesus before he went to the cross in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. 
See, your house has left you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more. To you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Christ wanted to gather them, but they were not willing. Verse 13, he's pleading with them, listen, they're not willing. 14, what would God do for them? I would soon subdue their enemies, turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He says, I would take care of your enemies. I would take care of your adversaries. I would take care of all of this for you if you would listen. Fifteen is a little difficult to understand. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. I like how one translation makes it a little clearer. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him, and their punishment would last forever. That those who hate the Lord would stand before God and cringe in fear because of who God is. And their punishment would then last forever. That's the power of God. What lastly would God do? Verse 16. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat. And with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. He says, oh Israel, I would have blessed you. If you just would learn to listen. Same thing is true for us today. Can we learn to listen to the voice of the Lord? Can we learn the discipline of listening to then have the confidence to know the voice of the Lord? Through prayer, through words, through the body of Christ, through godly people, through worship, through the Spirit. Learning to stop and say, Lord, I don't want just the quick answer. I want to know you. And I'm willing to take the time and energy to invest into knowing who you are for your glory, Lord. Let's learn from that. Let's pray. Lord, let us learn to listen. To learn the discipline of listening. To know you. Let's take the time, Lord. And if there's someone here this morning or watching online that's seeking you in answers, let them learn the beauty of waiting and just knowing who you are. That we may find out the answer doesn't even really matter. What matters is you. You're a good God, Lord, in your name. Amen. In way of announcements. Thank you card here says to know you are with us in time of sorrow sharing our prayers today and tomorrow God gives us comfort in the form of family and friends may his peace be with you his love never ends thank you all for your thoughtfulness cares and kindness the light family uh, Virgil that uh, worshiped with us out here for many years passed away a couple weeks ago and um, from the light family so continue to keep Carol in prayer that the God of comfort is with her uh, if you know of any soldiers serving overseas, uh, let us know. We'd love to get a chance to bless them with the care package. Not only pray for them, but also tangibly show them the love of Jesus. It doesn't have to be somebody that attends out here, but somebody you know, you can let Donna know. She'll take care of that. Baptism, getting ready for that. If you look in the kitchen before you leave, we are having a dry run of making sure the water gets warm enough. So they have quite the system going on in there. I was teasing them this morning. It looks like an adult science fair project. Uh, everything they have going on. So they're getting that ready. Once that passes the test, we'll get the date picked here. So if you want to get baptized, please let me know. If you have any questions about that, let me know as well. Quick reminder, prayer times on Sunday at 10 o'clock. Great time to go back and just be blessed. Um, new Our Daily Breads are back there. If you would like one, feel free to grab them. If you're watching online, let us know. We can get one sent to you. And lastly here... This is from Tony in the children's ministry. Um, It says, we need your help for a special event that will span the Sundays in March. Please send your favorite Bible verse to Tony's email, which is tony at harvest-fellowship.com. 
Tony at harvest-fellowship.com. Send her your favorite Bible verse. This is a great way for you to participate in your worship time. Thank you. She needs, I think she said, 32 verses by Friday. So if you have a favorite Bible verse, send that on to Tony. You'll bless the kids, bless the children's ministry. You'll be blessed as well. If you have any questions about that, see Tony. She's back in the fellowship hall doing class right now. And she will point you in the right direction. Hey, I believe that's everything. So you guys have a good week. God bless. Learn to listen and hear the voice of the Lord and you'll be blessed. We'll see you guys next week.